the podcast where we review books. Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, discuss young adult fiction. Hell yeah. Happy solstice, everyone. And most importantly, happy pride. I was told by one of our listeners recently that we need to be a little bit more consistent in reminding people of our upload schedule, which we, we are considering changing anyway. But one thing I really like about our upload schedule is that I always upload an episode for the solstice. And uh, here we are on the summer solstice and it's my turn to read a book. It is a girl that I went to school with's birthday on the upload day because I just remembered that her birthday is the Salsas. So shout out to that girl. And your birthday's coming up very soon. It's next week. I'm very excited because everyone's allowed to get their hair cut the next day. Very nice. We can all get Kira birthday haircuts. Kira birthday haircuts. They've changed the plan a few times because we're so good at defeating COVID, but I can't keep track of the plan anymore. And I just know that my library isn't letting people in until the 29th of June. God bless all librarians who are keeping public services, which are so important, open during this trying time. And especially bless the ones in America who are being sacrificed to the front lines, I have to say. Solidarity with all the people being forced to go back to work in unsafe conditions. Speaking of solidarity, one Goodreads review for the book that I read this week read... I saw this book and I had to read it on the grounds that it includes both gay people and communists, (laughs) which is also my experience picking up this book. Do we want to get into it? Yeah. Tell me all about this author and then tell me all about these ladies in love in wartime. So our author is called B. Orr Collins. She is an English writer. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1981 and she studied English at King's College and also drama. She was an actor for a while. She is twice the winner of the Young National Poetry Competition and two of her plays have been produced. Uh, She is an author of several young adult novels and one adult novel, I think. Uh, So her first young adult novel was published in 2009 and this one was published in 2013. It is called Love in Revolution. Nice. She is not a massively public person. There is not a lot of information out there on her. I could not even find a Wikipedia page. Cool. I love that. Secret authors. But I don't have super much to talk about from this book. And I think that's because I don't like it very much, despite the gays and the communists. Oh, no. The basic plot. Give me the basic plot outline. Not the, like blow by blow just the basics and then tell me what you didn't like about us our main character is named Estea and she lives in a fictional unnamed country she is at a pillow match with her brother when she sees both the girl she's going to fall in love with and the very beginnings of a communist revolution so pillow is a made up game that they make up for this fictional country Uh, It is kind of like handball. If you're an Irish person, you might know about handball. Uh, It's played on a court uh, against a wall. A little bit like tennis, but it's... Isn't that like squash? Kind of. Because tennis is not a a sport that involves a wall. It involves 
putting a ball over a net. Yeah, it rocket ball. Yes, but That's... it's a handball sport. Okay, use your hand instead of the the rocket. But rocket ball yeah. is against a wall. Estella falls in love with this girl called Skeezy, mm-hmm. who is a member of an ethnic minority called Zakidi who are kind of equivalent to Roma or traveler people in this society, although they're also entirely fictional. And her older brother is a member of the Communist Party. There's a lot of civil unrest in the country. And over a summer where she falls deeply in love with Skeezy, a communist revolution starts happening, which means the girls are then forced apart. And terrible, terrible things happen to Astea and then she is smuggled out of the country and she might see Skeezy again. That's the book? Yeah. Is there homophobia in this uh, made-of fictional universe? Their relationship is entirely secret. Oh, okay. That's sad. So they Um. don't uh, experience that. I'm gonna read you the first paragraph-ish. Okay. Which I love. This book has a really beautiful opening and I think it encapsulates all of the beautiful potential of what this book could be. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to put on my reading voice and I'm going to read it to you. I love it. When I was small, there was a house at the end of the town that had fallen down. We weren't allowed to play there, but of course we did sometimes. There was one room in the house or something that used to be a room that fascinated me. It still looked like a room, with a wallpaper on the walls, a mirror that had hung crooked, a sagging old sideboard that no one had bothered to move. But one wall had been torn apart. There was a vertical crack that went the whole height of the house, and between the ragged margins of wallpaper there was a dark gap big enough to put your hand into. After we tired of playing, I'd stand in the tumble-down doorway, just looking. I couldn't help thinking about how long the crack had taken to appear. Seconds? Days? Years? And imagining the first moment when someone looked up from their everyday life and realised that their world was falling apart. I think the world can collapse around you very, very slowly, so you hardly notice. I think it can start with something small, something tiny. That's how revolutions start, with the first tremor, the first plume of dust. That's how love starts too, a shiver, and something snaps too tiny to be seen with a naked eye, hardly even felt. And it's only when the house is in ruins, when there's nothing to keep out the weather, the cold, the bullets, that you look back and wonder how it happened. That is some opening paragraph, I gotta say. And I really don't want her to put her hand in the crack. (laughs) It, like, it goes on a little bit longer and she says she can pinpoint this moment when the world started to end. Um, it was the day that she saw this one pello player play for the first time. It was also the first day I fell in love. It was June and I was 15. So it, it also opens in June. But yeah, there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful prose here. And then... I was just a little bit disappointed by elements of the book, which sucks because it has both gays and communists, but I don't think it treats either the gays or the communists with the depth and complexity, as I think would benefit proper exploration of the themes. Okay. 
Interesting. I guess our girl is a little short-sighted, which makes sense because she's 15 Mm -hmm. and she's in love. For the first time. Yeah. And she's like pretty comfortable. She like knows that there's bad things happening in the world and there's lots of people who are suffering very much. But she is not one of them and therefore it is happening off screen to her and outside of her frame of reference. Very much so. So she's like a doctor's daughter. Uh, So she's reasonably secure. She's in a big-ish town, but not the main city. There is a king and there's lots of explanation of how there's lots and lots of suffering in the main city. uh, Lots of suffering in the countryside because of this unjust king. Her older brother's a communist. He's very pro-revolution. When the revolution happens... It flips so that different people are suffering, but lots of people are still suffering, but she's still not suffering very much because of her brother's party connections. And she's still a little bit insulated from everyone's suffering and doesn't ever really think deeply about what's happening, why it's happening and how it's happening. And that can be a little bit frustrating to read. That reminds me of... um... Amelia from Amelia by Siobhan Parkinson, who also lives during very exciting times and is just like, I just have to get from one end of the day to the next and that's enough, but doesn't like consider any of the exciting things that are happening around her, which to be honest, now that we live in exciting times, I'm like, I can see how you could get from one end of the day to the other without wanting to think too deeply about the suffering of others. True. And I'm going to upset you now by bringing up a book you really don't like, (laughs) which is How I Live Now by Meg Rossoff. Why? Why would you? This is the opposite of Tuesdays. No, listen, we're talking about How I Live Now. Because those characters live through exciting times. And much like this character you're describing, though I haven't read that book, they don't think very much about their circumstances, but at least they see them. Whereas Estea doesn't even seem to see them. She, like, in How I Live Now, the characters are still myopic. They're only thinking about how these things impact their lives about you know people are hungry but we're not hungry people are short on medicine but we're not short on medicine so it's fine okay Estea is not even that connected to it she isn't aware that people are short on medicine oh she needs to she needs to uh become more clued into the world around her for definite so some of it is a bit denial I think because The first winter after the revolution, uh, there's an Englishman who lives in their town. So while we don't know where this is set, it's somewhere... Englishy. There is an English character who goes back to England when the revolution happens. So clearly they don't live in England. It is a place where there are Roma-type ethnic minorities. It is a place where the language is Spanish-esque, possibly Portuguese-esque. So it's vaguely possibly 
alternate universe Iberian Peninsula or Latin America. Okay. But when her English friend has to go back to England because of the revolution, she's like, he he left us his teapot because he wasn't going to be able to bring the teapot back with him. And, you know, we keep the teapot, but we don't have tea anymore. But I guess she just doesn't engage with it very much. Her brother starts writing a list of everyone who's disappeared mm-hmm. on his bedroom wall. And that's really cool. And he's a real, really cool character. But Estea was just not as interesting. Sad she couldn't see her girlfriend. She couldn't see her girlfriend, but also her girlfriend has so much more cop on than her. That's um, because her girlfriend is part of a minority group that is per- persecuted. I assume. Yeah, let's talk about the ethnic minority of the Zakidi in this book, because that mm. is quite interesting. The moment Estea meets Skeezy, she can tell that she's a member of the Zakidi. So uh, they're described as like having bright eyes and olive skin. Okay. And just a little bit different looking as an ethnic group than everyone else is. And she lives in a hut outside of town. She's not able to wash. She lives alone. They have a reputation of being thieves and criminals and crooks. Um, They're often rounded up and taken away from places. Or if they're caught places or passing through places, they'll be beaten up uh, because they're all criminals. And uh, this is not untrue. But it's because they are a group that is ostracized very thoroughly from the society that, you know, this 15-year-old girl is living alone on the edge of town in a hut because there was a roundup of her people and she just managed to escape and she has no parents. So when she first meets this very pretty doctor's daughter and they go back to the doctor doctor's daughter's house and they talk for a while while Estea is away at school the next day Skeezy goes to their house and robs it okay and takes everything that's valuable and we really see how unaware Estea is of other people's suffering because she goes back to Skeezy's house and is like how could you how could you rob us and Skeezy's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you need this? And Skeezy's like, what do you mean did I need it? It was mine. And she's like, oh, okay. Because, like, what is it useful to you? What did you need it for? Because I need it to get food. Yeah. So is like, what do you mean? It's it's mine. I, it's mine. And Skeezy's like, right, okay. So that means it should be yours, should it? Because, like, God help you in a world where you don't have this pretty heart-shaped jewelry box, whatever will you do? And Estea kind of realizes at that point how her girlfriend is living in abject poverty and has nothing. And she just asks for one of her mother's like particularly sentimental pieces of jewelry back and lets her keep everything else. Um, I think we discussed this when we had the the book about the girl going to Australia and she also was very unaware of the world around her. Mm -hmm. And she also, you also found her very frustrating. Um, And I think it's partly that 
that writers expect their readers to live in a certain degree of privilege and therefore they want the characters that you are reading and living the story through to also experience that certain level of, of privilege so that you discover with them that you are living in privilege as opposed to writing from the person in poverty's point of view as many people do live in poverty mm-hmm. but writing from their point of view and then if you are in a position of privilege you're just like oh isn't it terrible but you don't connect that with your own lifestyle you don't connect us yeah that's a very good point and I think you're right and that's why I find these kinds of narratives a little bit frustrating and it's not a criticism of the writing itself it is that I find it I find it a struggle to deal with protagonists who are very self-centered in this way but I am going to discuss something that I do think is an inherent flaw of the book. Mm-hmm. And that is, although it contains, like that beautiful reviewer said, issues of queerness and like communism, like so deep philosophical questions, it's also got racial divides and ethnic oppressions. It doesn't do anything with that. Estea doesn't come to any conclusions about these things. So the reader isn't drawn to any conclusions about these things. That could be seen as a strength because you're just presenting to the reader how this is a thing that could happen and therefore isn't that interesting. What do you think of it? But it also leaves a lot of threads unconnected that could be connected like after the revolution some of the communist guards are talking to Estea about the the Zakidi and they're saying that people who don't work and don't contribute to society shouldn't expect to benefit from it so they continue to persecute the Zakidi minority and uh like Skeezy continues to be in danger because she continues to be otherized so that could be a really interesting talk about, um, you know, similar to some of the conflicts we see happening in America right now, you can have very strong economic positions, but if you don't take into account people of different races, it's just two white people fighting over something. Yeah, and like you would hope that in a revolution there would be political change enough that you could say this minority group has been discriminated against and they and as a result members of that group have resorted to crime in order to in order to survive so what if we treated them better and allowed them to complete or participate in education what if we supported them in getting jobs what if we supported them in supporting their families and themselves and therefore they wouldn't be quote-unquote scrounges on society because they would be maintaining themselves and fulfilling like a role within society and instead of just being like now that we're a new political regime we're gonna we're gonna stamp on those people as well That's bad political change. It is. One thing I will say about this book is that it isn't very unrealistic. 
a lot of the things it draws on are things that happened in real revolutions. You know, after the Russian Revolution, Jewish people and Roma people living in Russia continued to face large amounts of oppression because they were seen as either not completely loyal to the party or the state or not particularly, you know, not participating in society and not giving back for, like, Mother Russia. When there's, like, an idea of, like, countries being based around race, you're going to oppress the racial minorities in your country. But it's, I guess frustrating to have that there and then not explained or explored because you could ex- you could make this a historical novel but you've made a completely new country just to set a story that could have happened in Russia or in like any number of Latin American countries possibly in China I don't know as much about their communist revolution like this you could have told a real story that was real to somewhere. And while it's realistic to how things played out, the fact that it's in a fictional world means you could have explored that more and it just didn't. Okay. Yeah. If you set your book in a fictionalized version of a country, then I tend to expect that there will be there will be differences to how it would have played out in reality because you're not telling yeah. a historical f- story. You are being like, listen, what if if these other historical facts have changed? What if these things happened along the way as well? That would have improved the situation or made the situation worse. We can now play with the scenarios in more interesting ways and dynamics. So yeah, I, I see how that could be frustrating to read particularly as a thing that tends to happen when there is a communist revolution is that the country gets very authoritarian. So other leftists are also rounded up like anarchists and liberals and like Estea actually rats out one of her old friends who gets rounded up and taken away by the guards because she tells them she's an anarchist and that's not analyzed. What does Estea think an anarchist is? Does Estea regret ratting out her friends? Or are we pro-ratting out anarchists? So what happened is that Estea brings some food and soap to Skeezy at one point and doesn't tell her family where it went or what she did with it. So she is grounded for a few weeks when she next goes up to Skeezy's house it's abandoned and she hears guards saying that a girl told them that there was a Zakidi person living in a hut on the edge of town that this girl was very easy eager to please and they make some lewd jokes and she's like ah it's this girl who was in my class who flirted with the guards all the time and she just writes a letter that is like Anna surname is an anarchist and sends to the party office and that's enough to get this girl dragged away in the dead of night is the idea to rat out anna or to protect squeezy squeezy's completely gone at this point it's to get revenge oh well that's awful okay yeah and uh 
she later finds out that it wasn't that girl. It was one of her best friends who told on Skeezy. But also she finds out that Skeezy, spoilers, I guess, wasn't in the house or somehow escaped imprisonment because um, she's okay at the end of the novel. But there's a few twists and turns to get there. So I guess if B. or Collins is trying to make a point about revolution here, I guess it's just that people in desperate situations do desperate things. Which you could do with a war or with a famine. So there, there's lots of other themes you could explore with revolution. I was talking to one of our friends today who is reading a lot of Russian novels recently because she's a big fan of Russian novels and Russia history and its culture in general. And she helped me figure out another thing I find a bit frustrating about this is that it just covers like two years. Like, I don't think any regime should be really judged by two years. Uh, all we get is that there was a king, he was unjust, he caused a lot of suffering, a lot of people suffered, but Estea didn't really care. Uh, there was a communist revolution that a lot of people supported, but then members of the party got very paranoid and started turning on each other, and it was difficult, and there were food shortages. And that's that's bad. Those are bad things. But like, that, that was the first two years. It was always going to be messy. Ideally, you don't have food shortages. Ideally, everyone is happy and healthy and well. But ideally, you don't want to have revolutions because ideally, everyone's happy and healthy and well. Honestly, the fact that it covers two years impresses me because I thought it was going to be like a much shorter time scale. Yeah, it dips in and out. It's kind of like... Occasionally you'll start a new chapter and they'll be like, that winter was so cold and hard. At Christmas, this happened. And by the time the spring melted, this happened. And then she's talking about being at school or something. Time so jumps. you skip a season. Unsettle time jumps. It's realistic that a paranoid guy would be the head of the Communist Party post-revolution and turn on his friends and make things difficult for people. Because we've seen that happen historically a lot. But they don't draw anything like, is it better or worse that this paranoid guy was in charge than the king was previously? Clearly, some people are doing a little better and some people are doing a lot worse. But two years, as you point out, is also not long enough to even analyse that in the moment. Yeah. Is there a sequel or is it standalone? It's completely standalone, to my knowledge. Oh, disappointing. Honestly, it might be set in Spain, because uh, towards the end, Estea's brother helps her get smuggled out of the country, and she has to go to a place called La Magdalene, which mm. would make sense for France, which means it would make sense if this country was Spain. I guess there is one more point that they made. I'm just going to see if I can find a quote to support it here. Okay. So Leon, her brother, who's a member of the Communist Party and becomes like minister for information right after the revolution, mm -hmm. later falls out of favor because his friend who is in charge of the party is growing very paranoid. And if anyone says anything against him, he throws them in prison. 
as one does when all their friends say bad things against them. I throw people in, in the prison under my house all the time. They're like, Kira, we want to leave. And I'm like, no, you cannot leave. And I put them in the prison until they want to be my friends again. One time I was like, Kira, there's a stain on your shirt. And she locked me in the prison and didn't give me food for two weeks. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. It was, uh, it was great for, for our friendship. It was wonderful and I'm glad to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> I have never imprisoned Aoife. She is allowed free roam between episodes. Definitely, definitely not tied up and uh, fed a stack of books every two weeks. So Leon falls out of favour at the party. One of Estea's neighbours comes round to the family home and says, you need to run. Things are scary. You are in danger. And her dad is like, don't be ridiculous. Much like the person who might deny that the crack in their wall is happening. Oh, And that circle. the house is going to fall down. It's like, no, things are fine. But Estee is a bit worried and she decides to go out for a walk that night. And she ends up going up to the hut where Skeezy used to live. And she sleeps in the hut and she comes down in the morning. And the house is ransacked and her family's gone. And the last three names on the wall are her mother's and her father's and then half of her brother's name. And he was dragged away before he got to finish his own name on the wall of missing people. Does does Estea finish it? No, she just cries for a bit and goes. Oh, that would have been a good like solidarity move. But also I do like... Oh, I like the image of her finishing her brother's name on the wall. But I also like the image of other people coming to find it half scrawled as they were taken away. Like, as mm-hmm. a final move of defiance is putting your own name on the wall of missing people. But It's pretty good. Uh, Martin is a really good character. That's her brother. Um, at one point, he's trying to figure out what Estea's deal is and why she's so distracted. And he's like, are you in love with this pillow player? And she, like, starts laughing. And he's like, okay, it was just a theory. Oh. Oh, boy. He's like, you started acting weird this day we went to a match and we saw this pillow player for the first time. So are you in love with him? And she's like, no, you fool. I'm in love with the girl I met at the match. But I can't tell you that. Oh, heterosexuality. Mm. Oh. But truly, I guess... The the plot of this book or the conclusion of this book is if there is a dangerous revolution happening, try to have good connections. Yeah, honestly, it's the only reason I make as many friends as I do. You only make friends through me. I would be very confident that you would be the person leading the revolution. So Fair, fair. Uh, for the purposes of legal... This is a joke. <laughs> I hate politics. Our, lo- our anyway. lawyer just called us up and uh, <laughs> this is a joke. But one interesting thing I do think this book does is that, you know, Leon is imprisoned. Estea's family are mysteriously disappear in the dead of night. So she's left alone. Uh, she packs up a few worldly belongings and she gets the train to the capital 
and she tries to find Leon and she finds him in the prison where he's technically under protective custody because he has gotten threats but it's really like if he tries to leave this room the guards won't let him and he tries to convince Estea to leave to sneak over the border and she says no I need to save mom and dad and Martin and he says, would you do anything to save mom and dad and Martin? And she said, yeah. And he said, then push over this wall. If you can push over this wall, you can save them. And so she like pushes against it, but it's a wall in a prison and she can't do anything. And he's like, yeah, you just need to learn these things you can't do. And she's like, no, I would do anything to save them. And he says, nothing you can do can save them. That, damn, that's... Yeah, I think that's a powerful image and a good lesson to learn. I think it is. It's it's dark, but it is useful. I think Leon's a very interesting character. I'd love to see delved into a little bit more. Like he is a college student Mm -hmm. and he is kind of bad at his classes, um, but he's very politically active and and he and his friends believe a lot in justice and you know, he really tries to reach out to people, although he's still racist, like he still hates the Zakidi. He suddenly becomes their minister for information just because he was the guy who wrote most of their pamphlets back when they were still in college. And then his paranoid friend throws him in prison. And like, that's the last we see of him. And he has a very open mind. He has a very full idea of what's going on. And he's like, I just kind of hope someone out here, out there can do something about this because there is nothing I can do here. Yeah, it's It's very difficult to um, influence the going ons of a political regime from inside a prison cell with uh, no access to any sort of like contact with the outside. Mm hmm. Other than this one girl who must escape. Yes. So Astea turns up and is just... We're at the point of revolution where everyone's very paranoid. And anyone might be an informer. So she basically uses that to her an advantage by being someone no one really knows in this city. Mm-hmm. And so the guards are afraid to say boo to her. But it's... In the end, she gets smuggled out of the country. Uh... She meets Skeezy on the street in the city and Skeezy tries to tell her who she is, but Estea doesn't recognize her until afterwards. Okay. And again, it's just a whole bunch of nothing. Like, I don't really see the point of that part, um, except that Skeezy does just tell her La Magdalene, which... Estea does not understand until she's at the border looking at like the towns that are nearby on a signpost and sees that one of them is La Magdalene. And you have to presume that Skeezy is also sneaking out of the country. Or that La Magdalene is just a good place for people who have snuck out to go. Like that she's just helping her along the way. It doesn't sound like their romance is very um, solid. I got the impression that they were like, they were actually in like an ongoing relationship as opposed to after a year of sneaking around, one of them disappears. At a certain point, Skeezy is talking about how difficult it is for her to survive. 
and how her life is very difficult and how Estea doesn't understand or really even see her as fully human. And Estea says, what do you mean I love you? And Skeezy just really scoffs at her because she's like, you don't love me. You like how I can make you feel like you don't know me. Tell me anything about my life. What were my parents' names? Where did I live before this hut? What do I like to do when we're not together? Tell me anything about me. You don't love me. And Estea can't tell her anything about her because Estea is just a 15-year-old girl in her first relationship who doesn't think too hard about what this secret girlfriend is doing when they're not hooking up. Oh, to be 15 and love in a revolution and know nothing about anything. (laughs) I'm an idiot. Cool. Uh, It seems like Skeezy kind of holds Estea at arm's length to keep herself safe from sad feelings. But also after Skeezy goes missing, Estea goes back to the hut and finds a sketchbook under the floorboards where there's like lots of drawings Skeezy did of Estea. So it's like, oh, she did really love me. But yeah. She was withholding her feelings out of protection for herself and for me, no doubt. And la mm-hmm. la la, romance, romance, romance. I'm sad I don't actually have more to tell you really about this. I would kind of recommend this book though, all the same. You can't be like, I really disliked this book and here's all the reasons why it didn't hit the marks for me and then be like, but I would recommend... Who would you recommend it to? Hmm. I would recommend this book to someone who is... I, I guess, as you were saying earlier, this book can be of benefit to privileged teens who haven't really thought super much about their privilege and how that works. I wouldn't recommend it to someone who wants a book about what it is to be a teenager in a difficult war-torn situation. For that, I would recommend How I Live Now or that one by Siobhan Parkinson you recommended. Yeah, that's mostly just about having your financial situation change very much and not quite. Well, what is a revolution if not your financial situation changing very much? This is true. This is true. Amelia, which I was talking about, is set in Ireland. But like after the rising and all of that stuff, but before the troubles and kind of like when the emergency was happening and things. So Civil War or just before that? Um... Civil War-ish time, I think, but it doesn't have anything to do with the Civil War. She's Mm -hmm. kind of like, it's that her dad made a lot of bad business decisions. And as a result, and also because of political turmoil, which she doesn't really have any involvement in, her family are now on the down, um, on the downwards turn. But also like there, there isn't any opportunity for them to turn their luck around. And she is struggling with that a lot. And I think her dad becomes an alcoholic, which further alienates the family yeah it's a very good book i'm struggling to recommend this book to anyone i i keep thinking well it's okay for this theme but if you want like if you want a better example of a story that explores being a teenager 
in a time of great civil unrest with great ethnic prejudice, try Dairy Girls. Um, if you want, you know, people living in like actual starvation mode, war is happening and food shortages are happening. Yeah, try How I Live Now, although it's obviously a very specific book and there's more general things out there probably. I would say it is a nice example of how queer people have existed around the world and throughout time. This is true. That, I guess, is something I can recommend it on. Estea never once questions her attraction to women or that there is anything wrong with her for being attracted to women. That's really cool. I like that. That she's just like, I like girls and that's chill. That's part of what I meant when I said at the start, like, what's the deal with homophobia in this universe? But I get the impression that if they were public about their relationship, it would be a, it would be a bad. Yeah, Estea goes to a Catholic school run by nuns mm-hmm. until the school is closed down because one of the nuns gets in a fight with a communist guard because she wants to continue teaching the old curriculum. And someone else gets shot because that's the thing about wars and revolutions, I guess, is that two people get in a fight and someone else gets shot. However, point being, she knows that she has to hide her relationship, but at no point does she question that it is a relationship and that this is love. And she grows a little bit and figures out ways that she's been selfish and short-sighted and she wants to be a better person and a better girlfriend, and to have a better life. Like Leon, when Leon um, like rumbles her out of the cell and is like, cross the border, talk to my guy, we'll get you somewhere safe. He says, call your first son Martin in memory of our dead brother. And she kind of looks at him. And then as she's walking out of the prison, she's thinking of a stay and is saying, I could have a son. <laughs> <laughs> that's the closest to any discussion of how being queer affects her life we get okay yeah it is difficult um in same-sex relationships where you have the same parts to make a baby the setting is a little bit ambiguous on this it's in a pre-phone no it's not in a pre-phones era it's in a pre-mobile phone pre-internet era but it is the 20th century and Estea's doctor father has a house phone. Okay. But we seem to think not a lot of other people do. So, and if I would want to recommend this book to anyone and I would, it is anyone who is looking for a book with queer characters who have a queer relationship. And that isn't the drama in their lives. Uh, it is not Estea's biggest problem that she has a girlfriend. In fact, her having a girlfriend makes her a better and more compassionate person. It is just that this revolution thing is happening and she's 15. That's the biggest stress in her life right now. You know what? Fair enough. Revolutions are stressful, even if you're not engaging in it with it fully. That's true. I think that's a solid point. I have never lived through a revolution, but uh, seems like. Yeah, seems like. Um, So it sounds like your highlight is Leon. Not 
really. Oh. <laughs> He's a bit of a prick. Um, occasionally there is a scene of really beautiful human connection. Like at one point, Estea sneaks a bunch of food from her home to Skeezy's hut and like gives her a bath and like Skeezy has recently been attacked and she like bathes her bruises and it's like a very vulnerable moment for them. You do get to see Estea grow a little bit and change and get better and worse over their evolution. So that's nice. You get to see women having an active role in history. So Estea's teachers are women and some of them take political stands by continuing to teach their beliefs even after a government is telling them they can't. Estea, I didn't even mention this, she is in the main city for a sports game when the bread riot that becomes the first wave of the revolution happens and she sees women on the barricades and you get an idea of a historical context where women aren't, you know, just stay-at-home people. You get to see an image of how people did participate in society regardless of their gender. Very cool. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, Sidelights and lowlights? Lowlight is that I think a lot of the themes in it could have been a lot more fruitfully examined if they'd been given a little bit more place in the narrative to be explored and if we got to see Estea grow and think a little bit more about her situation there could have been some more interesting insights that I I feel the book is lacking for not having and sidelights honestly some of the visual imagery Mm -hmm. is lovely in this like that one I read you at the start the prose does sound gorgeous it's lovely Martin was a lovely character her brother who her brother who wrote the names of the missing people on his bedroom wall beautiful lovely the family dynamics and everything in it feels very real there isn't a single character in this who I don't think is a fully realized character even the ones we only see little glimpses of, like Estea and Martin's mother mm-hmm. isn't Leon's mother. Estea's father remarried after his first wife died, and we only get like two or three scenes with her in them, but we see so much of her personality where like she's annoyed at Leon and she's like, Well, he's not my son. Your son is causing this trouble. And like how much she cares about just this one piece of jewelry and everything else can be gone. Every single side character is like that, even people who are only in one scene. So that's good. I do like fully realized characters. That is something that I Mm -hmm. am into. So that has been us. This has been the wrap up of our Pride season, I guess. Yes, it is. Um, We'll be back in July with some books. We will be back with some books. (laughs) So just to extend... Pride Month into July. I will be back in two weeks with the Falling in Love montage by Kira Smith, who is an Irish author and it's an Irish book about two girls falling in love over a summer, as the title might imply. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm excited to read us and then tell you all about us. 
But Kira, that's your name. Kira is my name, and it's also the author's name. And the author is similarly aged to me, and you'll be shocked to discover that it was the fifth most popular name in Ireland the year I was born. (laughs) And it stayed in the top 20 for, like, the next couple of years. So there's actually quite a few Kiras about. Honestly, that's pretty true of Aoife's. (laughs) Yeah, but they don't spell it as cool as you. That's true. I am the only Aoife among a sea of Aoife's. And if you can hear me pronounce that differently, you've got sharper ears than I do, because I cannot. (laughs) Yeah, it's been lovely recording with you. I hope I managed to edit this book down into some nice listening points for our listeners. Uh, We will be back on the 7th with the Falling in Love montage, a book Kira will be reading. I don't yet know what book I'll be reading for July. I am very open to suggestions since our libraries are opening up soon. If you would like to send suggestions our way, you can do that on Twitter at ForeverYAPod or on Goodreads. I don't know if Goodreads has a messenger function, but I'm sure you could make it work at ForeverYAPod. You can also talk to us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash ForeverYAPod. You can also find us on Instagram, the odd one out at ForeverYAPodcast. (laughs) Um, I think that's everything with the social media and all the housekeeping. So we'll see you all in two weeks and have a happy solstice if you're listening to this on the day of release and have a happy final 10 days-ish of of Pride, I suppose. Have a happy day whenever it is you are listening. We are having an okay day the day we're recording and we will be back on the 7th. Bye. Bye. Forever Young Adults, a book podcast where we review books. Hey, the outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at Forever YA Pod. And on Instagram at foreveryapod. You can also email us at foreveryapod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at foreveryapod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.